You're listening to Grow Yourself Up, a weekly mental health podcast hosted by Kath Cunahan. I'm a psychotherapist, writer, and speaker working in private practice in London. I specialize in the impact of our own childhood on our parenting and how we can heal and integrate our childhood trauma, wounding, and stress so that we can inhabit our full adult selves. Join us each week as we talk about all things growing ourselves up, how we can tend to ourselves in our parenting, generational healing, and overcoming the impacts of childhood trauma. Together, we will become more self-compassionate, connected, authentic, resilient, and heart-centered, so we can live our own full and beautiful lives. As a listener of this podcast, you're welcome to come over and join the Facebook group. So search on Facebook for Grow Yourself Up. It's a private Facebook group of all the listeners. And did you know there are journal prompts that go along with every episode? So sign up for the journal prompts on kathcunahan.com or go to my Instagram, kathcunahan, and sign up at the link in the bio there. And you will get my newsletter, Nurture, Heal, Grow, which contains all the journal prompts. Looking forward to seeing you in the Facebook group. The podcast is produced each week by the wonderful Audio Cafe. Thanks for being here. It's episode 25 of Grow Yourself Up, and we're talking a bit more about people-pleasing today because this is such a huge topic, and it's one that can really cause a lot of issues in our lives and in our parenting. I think one of the things that's really important to acknowledge about it is because the payoff for people-pleasing is often quite big, as in we feel good about ourselves, and we get sometimes quite a lot of feedback in our kind of social groups or in our families when we are prioritizing other people. So the kind of social payoff is that it might make us feel better about ourselves. We might be very hooked into that feedback. It might feel like we need that feedback to be okay. And so the idea of stopping it can, you know, induce a lot of panic. It's really brave and courageous, actually, not to people, please, because sitting with your own discomfort is incredibly difficult. And if you're not kind of clear about the fact that this is a story from my past, i.e. I learned I needed to please people as a child, and that's why I do it, it can feel like you are doing something very wrong or that you're a bad person. Now, I strongly object to words like bad person or that you're doing something very wrong, but that kind of binary thinking that we often learn in our families is often what we carry with us um, as part of our inner critic voice. And so you can reframe that as I'm someone who's learning to meet my needs. I am allowed to meet my needs. But, you know, the voice of maybe your mother, your father, a critical teacher, a critical grandparent might come up a lot in your own kind of inner critic dialogue when you start to try to stop people pleasing. I hope that makes sense. And so whenever we're trying to practice new behavior, really notice there's always a kind of a good and a bad of both things. So you can acknowledge that maybe it makes you exhausted and you feel deeply resentful, but it's also useful to notice, okay, so there is this payoff for me where it makes me feel good or other people think I'm good or other people think I'm like a fantastic, efficient person who can do so many things and that makes me feel good. And I mean, I'm laughing as I say that because that's so compelling when people are like, oh, wow, you're amazing. You can get so much done. Wow. And we often get kind of quite sucked into that. 
you really kind of have to pause and think, and, and who is that serving? Is this really serving me? Does this help me in my life? Yeah, so just kind of notice that, hold that. If you're trying to change something, especially if you're struggling with changing it, look at what the payoff is. Okay, so one of the things that is really important when we are stopping people pleasing or sort of shifting away from that pattern of behavior is our own boundaries and honoring our own boundaries. Because when we have been set up as people pleasers, and that's something we learn in our family of origin, because we learn when we're growing up from tiny, from tiny, tiny, being a tiny baby, that we need to please our parents for us to be okay. So when we're being a parent pleaser, we don't learn about boundaries. We don't learn about our separateness. We don't learn about that it is our job to tend to ourselves as like a human organism and that we, we are a separate being and that the needs of our parents are different to our needs and that actually it's their job to meet our needs. We just, it's all like kind of one big smush of, of lack of boundaries and enmeshment. So when we take people pleasing into parenting, it's incredibly difficult often with our children because it feels deeply difficult to deal with our children's displeasure. So we will often unwittingly or unconsciously put our children into the position of people that we need to please. Then that hampers our role as a parent because you cannot be pleasing your children as part of parenting. It kind of goes against the role of the parent. Now I'm not saying that that doesn't mean you don't cook the food that they like or that you don't give them choices. What I'm saying is that you can't run the show based on pleasing them because you will land up being resentful, burnt out, maybe eating chocolate all day or watching the TV all day. And it's not good for your children either, ultimately, because they need containment and safety and structure to help them learn about the world. Let me say a few things about what children need. So children need to feel contained to feel safe. It's scary to have too much responsibility or too much choice for children. They're not going to be able to verbalize that, but that is a kind of a panicked sense that you'll get in your kind of system around that. We learn to take on responsibility as we get more freedom, as we get older, we learn to take on more responsibility and we learn that with freedom comes responsibility, but we learn adult skills to deal with that. Acting like our children are the ones who get to call all the shots is actually unhelpful and that can lead them to feel emotionally unsafe in the dynamic. So high structure or, or routine is containing for children in the form of, that's why we, I mean, that's why we have routines where we have sequential actions throughout the day, which demarcate to them what is coming next. And that's actually in some way how they also learn about time. Because if you think about it, children don't know anything really about the way the day goes to start off with. We help them from when they're little babies. We make associations about bed comes up to bath time. After bath time, maybe we have a feed. When you first wake up in the morning, I change your nappy. Then I feed you. Then we do some playing. Then it's your nap. Then we have some more playing time after that. Then maybe we go for a walk or maybe we're in for a walk on your nap. But you build up, even if you, so I personally didn't follow like someone's time and guidelines, but naturally we fell into a routine where the same sort of things happened every day and not necessarily at exactly the same time. But I personally found it containing. It's nice to have a structure because that's kind of how you, it's like the scaffolding points you hang your day on. And when things feel like they're sort of running out of control, you return the, the kind of the routine or the structure 
pulls you back to a sense of safety. Does that make sense? So we do that for ourselves in adult life as well. If you start to feel like just before lunch, like you get a bit of low blood sugar and you start to feel a bit stressed or worried, you like go, oh, okay, okay, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to go and get myself a snack or have my lunch. I'm going to have a cup of tea and I'm going to go for a walk. And that's my lunch routine. And then that brings me back to a sense of kind of containment and I can manage my rest of my day. And so for children, routines, or often people use a visual timetable, you'll see they use that a lot in, in nurseries, I think, but children learn to kind of understand the rhythm of the day through their routine. And we have rituals throughout the day, which provide continuity and containment. And from a nervous system point of view, that's very important because that gives the context. Even as a tiny baby, babies are prescient. Is that the right way to pronounce it? But they're intelligent, full human beings who have got an extraordinary ability to understand stuff. If there's a certain like toy that makes a noise as you run the bath, they will know that the bath is coming and they might get excited when you start to go upstairs or however your house is or home is laid out towards the bathroom. They start to learn what is coming and they can expect that. And that that's kind of containing to them because they start to learn, I know what's coming next. And it gives them that sense of context because our nervous systems, to give ourselves a sense of safety, we like context, we like choice. And we like connection. So when I'm talking about not people pleasing your children, I'm not talking about not giving them choices. Choices are a fabulous way to give them a sense of safety and also to let them exercise some power because it's it's difficult for children because so much is controlled by us adults. So if we just think about context and the safety that it gives us as adults. So think about how you feel when you're going to a new place. Maybe you're going on a holiday. And you're flying into an airport or you're catching a train into a train station or however you're getting there where you've never been. Think about how you try and comfort yourself and give yourself context around that. Maybe you try and find out where there's a cash point that's close by. Or if you're staying in a hotel, you look at the range of amenities there. You might find out where could you eat your first meal? Where's the closest supermarket if you're renting like an Airbnb or something? And those are all things that we do to give ourselves context because that gives us a sense of safety. Can you see that? Like, even if you're going to a restaurant, if you're someone who likes to know about the food at the restaurant, you might call ahead and find out what options there might be, especially if you've got dietary restrictions. Perhaps you look online at the menu and you try and figure out what will I have. That's all an attempt to give yourself context and kind of manage um, yourself so that you're sending signs of safety about this is where we're going to go. This is what I'll be able to eat. And so for our children, they obviously cannot phone ahead to find out what their mom is going to give them or their dad is going to give them for supper or like, what is the bath going to be like? Or what is the park we're going to going to be like? Or how is it going to be for me to go on a play date with a whole bunch of people I've never met before? And so we give them context throughout the day. That's why it's really helpful to narrate constantly to children what's going on. Even from tiny, tiny babies, they can understand if you tell them, this is what's going on, sweetie. Or, oh, look, I'm changing your nappy. Or we're about to go for the bath. Oh, and how are we going to get in the car? All of that helps because it's giving uh, context. So the reason I'm talking about this is given the context and the safety, and it's giving a framework. If you kind of imagine context and, and safety, we want to be holding a framework for our children of like relational safety, where we are the ones who make the decisions. The boundaries we put down form the edges of that um, area of containment. So we need to be clear about the boundaries because otherwise it's all like wavy and unclear and 
everyone can feel unsafe. Let's think about, say, if your children don't want to get out of the bath. So this is a classic thing where they don't want to get in the bath, and then when they're in the bath, they want to stay there forever. So if you are unconsciously or unwittingly people-pleasing them, you may not then insist about them getting in the bath. You might just think, oh, they're having fun, okay, that's fine. And maybe that does work for you, which is great. But sometimes what happens is we extend ourselves past our own boundaries, and then suddenly we get really ratty and we're like, kind of, we get grumpy and we're like, in our head, you sort of start to think those thoughts of, oh my word, I'm trying so hard. I do so much for you people. And then look what you're doing now. You just really annoy me. And then we might shout at that point because we're annoyed that the bath has gone on too long or actually they've got overtired because they've been on the bath so long because we didn't put down a boundary of, okay, it's time to get out the bath now and then just hold their discomfort with that. So they might then have a little bit of a meltdown or say like, no, mommy, go away, mommy, stinky mommy, don't do that. Da, 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 da. And it's just your job to kind of hold that. If they're doing something that's going to hurt you to sort of have a boundary of, I'm not going to let you hurt me. Sometimes that actually requires that you hold their arm so they can't hurt you. Otherwise, it's listening to the verbal stuff around, I don't want to get out. And you can kind of acknowledge, I know it's really tricky to get out the bath. I know you're having such fun. I know. Luckily, there'll be bath time tomorrow. It's not our job to avoid putting down the boundary. But as a people pleaser, that can feel the hardest thing because dealing with what comes after the boundary is what gets us. So, i.e. is what causes you as the parent emotional pain. And that expression of your child's discomfort may cause you not to want to put boundaries down. Because as a child, it was so unsafe to sit with and be with people's discomfort. Because it just it maybe wasn't allowed and you had to, in order to keep the attachment relationship alive, you had to be pleasing. Now, it's actually the opposite because you want to have a, a strong, a secure attachment. And a big part of that is you creating the emotional safety for your children to thrive in the environment. So have a think about um, when are the situations where you start to feel resentful of your children or resentful of the situation or to have big reactions and to start thinking, I do so much for you and this is what you repay me with, da, 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 da. Any of that type of emotional reaction is indicating that Perhaps the boundary needs to be put down sooner and that you may not be fully acting in your adult place as the parent who needs to take responsibility and put the boundary down. So I always like that example of the park where maybe you actually really need the loo or you need to have a cup of tea and put your feet up at home for a few minutes before you do the supper or something. And so it's time for you to leave the park because you need to kind of keep yourself going as the parent throughout you know, the dinner process or the bath and bedtime process. And so responding to your four-year-old or your three-year-old or your five-year-old's repeated requests to stay for longer, when you know that that's going to push you out of your window of tolerance too much, is not helpful for you. If you're trying to walk somewhere and you know it's going to take you like 45 minutes to walk to the post office or something, and actually you need them to be in their buggy because you need to zoot there and back quickly because you've got to do some other things, letting them walk will just make you feel more and more angry as you go along because um, you don't actually have the time to manage that that morning. You, you may sometimes have the time to take 45 minutes to walk to the post office, but you don't need to do that all the time. It's not your job to be pleasing your child. It's your job to provide a safe and loving environment for them to grow up in, which where you provide containment. And so noticing your capacity, noticing what else you need to do and acting according to that is much more important than always acquiescing to what your child might want. I hope that makes sense. On the example I gave about walking to the post office taking 45 minutes, 
your child might really resist being in their buggy. They might have a massive meltdown and that feels really painful to deal with. And yes, that is painful to deal with. And you can acknowledge all of that. When you're putting down a boundary, that doesn't mean that you don't really respond in a loving way to all the pain that comes up for your child. You might say something like, I know it is so hard and frustrating to be in your buggy. It really annoys you because you're so, you're growing up so much and you want to be a detective on the ground and look at all the insects. And, you know, you really want to point out all the cracks on the pavement and you love looking at all the um, little flowers as we go along. I know it's so annoying, isn't it? And to really help them understand, like have um, deep kind of compassion for that pain that they feel that they want to take all the time in the world to inspect every little ladybird. And I mean, I find this bit of it really fun because I'm like, I know it's really a pain, isn't it? Oh, I would also feel like that. You can really empathize and kind of call out all the things they enjoy because that makes them feel seen. They're like, yes, mom. Yes. That's what I don't like. You know, I want to look at the ladybirds. I want to do that. And by you acknowledging what's going on for them, they're like, oh yeah, they feel so understood. And that helps them return to a place of calm because they've been seen. They can deal with the disappointment of not getting to do that because the relational safety that you've just provided is so warm and containing and kind of beautiful. I mean, even as I say that, when I've done that with my girls, you can just see them like settle into their life. They are like, I know, it's really disappointing that we can't do that. And then one of mine now goes, okay, next time. And I'm like, wow, this is just amazing. So if you're feeling really scared of the boundaries and you feel really anxious about how you're going to manage because it feels so dysregulating to you, really do the same to yourself. Our own self-talk and being gentle with ourselves is vital in this process. So you can say, I know, I know it feels so difficult to put down these boundaries, sweetie. It feels like so threatening in my system and I'm okay. I'm, I'm going to survive this. I'm here for myself and there's no danger for me. There's no danger. No one is going to come and hurt me. I'm safe. I can put down this boundary with my child and I can contain those feelings. But you often have to slow the movie right down to see what leads up to you getting really dysregulated. So slow it down and notice, okay, in the park, I noticed that I started to have my interoception was telling me I needed the loo, but I didn't listen because I thought it was more important to pander to my three-year-old. And then I started to need the loo more and more, and I got more and more irritated and more and more resentful of the three-year-old. The three-year-old has no idea that you may need the loo. It's not the three-year-old's job to tend to that. It's your job to tend to that. And then when you lose your temper at the three-year-old because you've stayed in the park too long, they are totally blindsided by that. They don't know what's going on. So really slow down things and look back at periods where you might have had a lot of dysregulation and resentment and pushed past the point of you feeling comfortable in a situation and see what was going on and do this with gentleness. And you can always repair with your child. You can say, I really needed glue, but I didn't realize that enough. And then I got really cross and I'm sorry, that was really scary for you. And it was mummy's job to tend to that. So boundaries are to keep us all in a contained place. And it can be exceptionally difficult as a people pleaser. So I would suggest that you slow your movie down, look at the pain points for you in, um, I think that's a consulting word, actually. You can hear the former management consultant in me. Look at the pain points in your day. Look at where you may be extending yourself beyond what's comfortable for you. Look at maybe why you're doing that. And then notice if the next time this happens, you can flex it just a tiny bit. Remember, we're looking for incremental changes, just a tiny bit. And just to interrupt this episode, 
Please can I ask that if you are finding Grow Yourself Up useful, can you go and leave a rating and a review on whichever podcast platform you listen to? It makes such a difference to other people being able to find it. Take really good care of yourselves and write to me and let me know how you're doing. Have a happy week. Lots of love. You've been listening to Grow Yourself Up, hosted by Kath Cunahan. We'll be back next week with a new episode supporting you to better understand and tend to yourself for more heart-centered, connected, authentic, and resilient living. Music.